Hello, my name is Barry. I am the co-owner and founder of The Cider Crate, an Ontario blog that's designed to talk about various cider that we get in the region. If you've found us and you're listening, you've stumbled across our very first edition of the Cider Crate as we walk through tours of various cideries across the province and maybe around the world if we get a chance to do some external work. However, over the next 30 minutes or so, you will hear work from the likes of County Cider, located in Picton, more specifically in Wapoose in the Prince Edward County area. We talk with the late Grant Howes, who actually passed away this past January 2017 at the age of 60 in his sleep. We were saddened to hear the news, and we wish Jennifer, who you also will hear later on in this interview with, and the rest of the County Cider family the best going forward, and our deepest condolences. But we catch up with Grant and have a chance to talk with him about the cidery, what's happened with it, how the apples were grown, and more and more about the whole process. So uh, please join me and my co-owner and founder of the Cider Crate, Bethany, as we join Grant in the fields, heading on the way out past the barn as he sees an old friend from down the road who's working around the farm as well. It used to be when it was a horse barn, eh? Okay, he's, he's one of our neighbors. He uh, <laughs> goes way back. In fact, I remember when he was in high school doing work around here. So yeah, now he's retired. So you can stumble home then if he's a neighbor. Yes. <laughs> so I, yeah, anyway, so uh, like I was saying, we uh, my family bought this farm in the mid 70s. Uh, and it was, on, uh, it was a, uh, a typical orchard then. Um, where we grow the apples, we pick the apples and uh, sell them to, to a wholesaler, and and they, you know, sell them uh, to a loblaws or things like that. So, uh, and it worked out very well until uh, you know global trade started happening, and uh, with uh, the Chinese entering the market, with the South American apples hitting our 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 markets here, uh, you really couldn't make any money growing apples. Um, and I was at West at the time, and cider has always been a big thing in. Uh, on the west coast and uh, I came back I guess uh, uh, in the early 80s and started looking at uh, turning this uh, or adding a derivative product like cider to to our uh, our portfolio of products so um, that's what we did but the one thing I really wanted to do uh, was bring that taste of uh, British cider here um, the, the, my mentor Al, uh, Al Pickett from the Marydale Cider Works uh, had managed to bring in some uh, English-style bittersweet apples, and the ciders he was making out in British Columbia were just unbelievably good, like no- nothing I'd ever had before. Like if you can think of like the ciders back then, you know, we're talking about light and easy, which were very cloying, very sweet, uh, like more uh, coolers than uh, than ciders. Um, I didn't like them, but the ones he was making were were terrific. Um, and so I came back here with a plan in the uh, early 90s. And, and started a cidery, which was part-time. Um, for, and I guess from the nine, 93 to, when we first got our license to 2002, we, it was, like I said, a part-time thing, but I did manage to collect and, and graft uh, uh, very rare traditional cider apples that were in North America and graft them here. And I'll, I'll show you my little orchard here. So anyway, so, some of these, these are uh, uh, 
uh, some of our, the results of our, our endeavors. This uh, is a young block of Kingston Black here. Have you heard of Kingston Black? Well, Kingston Black is kind of the uh, holy grail when it comes to cider apples. Uh, are you familiar with the difference between cider apples and regular apples? A little bit. Okay, well, well cider apples, the big, the big difference other than they have a different flavor profile is they have a, a high level of tannin. And tannin, as you know, is like when you bite into a grapeseed, how it dries your mouth out. Um, these apples have a lot of this tannin in it, probably t 10 to 100 times more than you get in normal culinary apples from North America. And the result of that, when you use it, just even just a little of these in your ciders, it uh, uh, provides a really uh, a great finish to your product. Um, so if you have even a sweet cider with those tannins, it, it, cut, it cuts that cloyingness at the end and cleans out your tongue, grabs on all those little fat molecules. And, uh, and prepares your mouth for the next sip of cider. So, so for us, it's very important to have these varietals. Uh, the big challenge, of course, was growing these because no one had ever grown them in Canada before, this far north. So we didn't know which ones would work, which ones wouldn't. And what we found as uh, testing them, uh, we've narrowed down to about four that really work well here in this area. Um, and that's being uh, Bulmer's Norman, Kingston Black, Dabinette, and Yarlington Mill. And uh, there's a few more that uh, uh, that I'm still experimenting with from uh, the Calvados area, Normandy area of, of France, such as Frequent Rouge. But these are uh, these are the holy grail. That Kingston Black is is one of the only apples that uh, you can make a varietal cider from. When I say varietal, like if you compare it to wine, you know where people make a Cabernet Sauvignon or a, a Chardonnay. Uh, Kingston Black has all the right constituents. It has the right flavor, flavor profile, uh, the right level of acidity, and of course that ever important level of tannin that you need. So what I'll do, I'll pick one and let you try, okay? Um, they're a little young yet, but uh, give that a bite and see what you think. So size-wise, they... Oh yeah, they're just sizing now because we, what uh, we've of course gone through a terrible drought here. And um, so, do you notice, do you taste that? Mm -hmm. Bitterness, and we'll, I'll move down. We'll, I'll give you even a, uh, a one that has a more pr profound flavor profile. But these, as they grow, um, their cider apples are very interesting because they're very mealy, and to eat them, they're terrible. And uh, but when you press them, you can throw it on the ground; it's okay. <laughs> um, but when you press them and include them in your blends, uh, they really add that depth. And uh, that's why I think our Wapoos, for example, uh, four years ago was picked as one of the top 10 ciders in, in, in London, England, because we, we did have these. And of course, making hybrid blends of, uh, of North American uh, apples like uh, a Northern Spy and uh, 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 Russet really, really uh, uh, combines to make a unique and uh, a wonderful tasting product. So. so what would the split be if you were using this and applying other the locals to Well, Well, it depends. Like. Um, be, uh, you don't want to go overboard with it because a lot of people aren't used to these tannins. So we'll use, for example, in our Wapoos, about 10% of, of, of these apples in it. Uh, county, probably anywhere from 15 to 20%, depending on the year. And then you get into our Tortured Path, which uh, is roughly 75%. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you said, you've had that. And you'll, you'll notice with the, the Tortured Path, you'll, you'll get that barnyardiness that... Uh, that, that you know image of walking a horse barn with you know freshly laid out hay and, and that that's what we want from our torture pass plus we we also put that under a, uh, what's called a malolactic conversion or malolactic fermentation where you take the the malic acid that's that's in these apples and 
with a bacteria action, you convert it into lactic acid plus another other flavors, and that provides a, a better mouthfeel and less acidity. Um, and you can do that and get away with that with uh, cider apples, but not really with culinary apples. It just ends up to be an insipid uh, drink. So, so you need those cider apples. So come on down, and I'll show you some more and give you another taste. Do you do anything else on the side, or is it now all cider-based? Uh, it's 100% cider. Uh, I, I'd say in, uh, we went from uh, an orchard with a cidery to a uh, cidery with an orchard in 2002. Um, and we've never looked back, really. Um, you know, my dream was to bring uh, cider to uh, Ontario, and we did that. We were the first cidery here, and, um, and that was in 1995, I guess, I got my license. When I was a young lad, so I didn't know any better. Yeah, but uh, we've, uh, you know, continued to propagate because I, I firmly believe that to uh, to make good cider, you have to grow the apples or know something about the apples that are going into it. Um, not that uh, a lot of people are making terrific ciders from, uh, you know, juice they're buying, but they're not going to explain this. There's there's two schools of thought here. One is the brewery end of things where you utilize technology and, and your knowledge to, to, to make cider based on a background of, of making beer, which means that uh, the juice becomes uh, just a secondary ingredient, okay? And that's where you get uh, a lot of like hop ciders coming out or, or these weird flavored ciders. And we do that too, but our true ciders like our Torture Path, our County Cider, and our Wapoos uh, is all based on the apples. Uh, and I'm a firm believer that that uh, you need those apples to make uh, a truly tr world-class product, and that's what we're doing. Like these trees here, this is a very interesting tree. Um, this is part of my experiment. I had got uh, two types of apples from from uh, from Normandy. One was called uh, Frequent Rouge, which is this, and Benet Rouge, which is that row. <laughs> and as you can see, the Benet Rouge has not done well. But th this has, has flourished here. In fact, yeah. I just planted out another thousand trees of this. Um, here, try this one if you want to taste real tannin, okay? You don't have to swallow it, just take a bite. Now you'll notice how bitter it is, but before that bitterness comes through, you'll, you'll notice uh, wonderful flavors coming through. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what you want. And this is primarily used uh, in Normandy for uh, Calvados. In fact, they didn't have a name for this for a year, like three, four hundred years. <laughs> Right. In fact, they, I've traced uh, some of these varieties, these old French varieties, back to the times of uh, Charlemagne, you know, 800 A.D. So, uh, so I hope that doesn't turn you off cider. It only makes me a little bit more. Okay. So, so uh, one thing too, uh, the names like um, these. Uh, I should mention we do all our own grafting here, which is really important. So, um, as you can see, we've got uh, all these trees are uh, are supported by. Uh, uh, their own posts, and and the reason for that is the um, if you look, uh, well, and I'll show you. If you look at the graphs here. See a graph See a graph right here. This big knob here. That's where we've grafted the variety onto the rootstock. And what the rootstock does is, it's kind of like the brains of the plant. It controls uh, when when it goes into dormancy, when it comes out of dormancy, and most importantly, how big the plant will get. Um, and these are all dwarfing rootstock. So, so it dwarfs the rootstock, which means it doesn't grow that big. In fact, if you look like our Northern Spies there, are Max, they're over 25 years old and they're still really small. Um, but 
by by posting them and securing them like this, what happens is the uh, the trees put all their energy into producing fruit rather than wood. And if you hear, all these are little fruit spurs mm -hmm. that next year will all be uh, apples. And that's what you want to see. So. Every once in a while, there's one that's got some apples to it. Yes. So that's just a, a year older, or is that well, so, it, uh, it just decided it was going to fruit yeah, this year? Yeah, it would depend. And, and that's one of the big challenges. A lot of these uh, varieties want to fruit every other year, like they fruit and then take a year off. And so what we have to do, and we're, we're doing it slowly because we're just learning, is uh, take off uh, like anywhere from 50 to 70% of the crop to, to get it into producing annually. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting. But come on down here and I'll show you some. I hope I'm not boring you with Oh this. no, this is great. Just like, because uh, I mean, everyone's excited about cider, but they should be excited about the, the fact that we can grow <laughs> these apples here. And it's an education for us as well. Yeah, so, so well over here, I'll show you these. Um, this is, doesn't look very good right now, but this is our nursery, one of our nurseries. Because um, it was such a drought here, we haven't had to look after it really. But last year we did all the, the, the grafting here. So these trees, these little trees will be planted out next year. But remember I was talking about the rootstock? And what we do here is graft on the variety, right? So you can just see the, the rootstock's a different color. Then we graft it on the variety, and that takes over the plant, right? So next year this will be planted out. So it's essentially as though you were putting an artificial limb on yes. the, the yeah. roots, and then it grows from there. Yeah, and, and I mean this technique's been used for, for 2,000 years. So, and then uh, over here I'll show you some some more plants. I hope I'm not boring you with these, but I could talk apples all, all day long. This is another one of our newer uh, plantings. Um, you notice we're planting these about four feet apart. Now when I'm planting my newer out, like I put another 5,000 trees in this year, and um, these are about 15 feet apart and four feet uh, from each other, or the rows are 15 feet wide and four feet apart. My new plantings are 12 feet wide and three feet apart. So we're cramming a lot more uh, apples into the space and what, the, what we're hoping to achieve there is going from say 500 bushels to the acre to a thousand bushels to the acre um, and with that hopefully uh, we'll see um, you know it just makes more sense yeah. to, to grow that many more apples plus uh, growing it like this like kind of like a trellis like grapes uh, down the road they are coming out with uh, mechanical picking machines that go above the rows and, and use fingers to gently pick them. Yeah. And I think uh, that's really, really important because uh, labor is becoming more and more hard to get. So, uh, so it's tough. But I want to give you a taste of one apple if I can find it in here. This is called a... Uh, uh, it's an ugly looking apple, but this is a, a Medea or Medel. Oh. Anyways, it's called the golden apple. Medel or something like that. Take a bite of that and you'll taste it. Kind of tastes like a uh, um, very sweet. But it does have the tan in there, right? Mm -hmm. And we think we'll be able to do varietal ciders from this once, once we have enough being propagated. Have you tried one yet? Or? I'll give it a shot. Yeah, okay. What's up, hon? Mm -hmm. 
That's very good. Yeah, but it's a different profile of, of taste than you get from regular apples, eh? Oh, yeah. And that, that's really going to add to another dimension. Like in France, too, when you when you look at um, when they, they make wines there, it's not one varietal they make a wine out of. Like the Bordeaux area has uh, grapes that grow really well there, and they'll blend them to, to make uh, make like uh, a Bordeaux. So you'll have Cap Sau, Cap Franc, Petit Bordeaux, all these kinds that that hopefully the, the sum is greater than the, the parts, so to speak. What's up? Am I... You have less than an hour before you have to leave for Okay. We'll continue. Are you guys going to be at the show tomorrow, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're there and recovering. Um, the hope is to go through a, uh, a quick little profile of all of the different oh. groups with some video. Um, we're one of the official uh, supporting sponsors. Supporting we're sponsors. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, listen, we'll go up and. Uh, I've got everything set up. Perfect. On the so, this is a real treat you're going to have today. Um, oh, I think it's a real treat. Maybe you guys all think it's crap. I don't know. <laughs> so we do like, um, you know, we, we, we do the main ciders, but we do a lot of flavored ciders as well. And uh, because of our portfolio and uh, trying to uh, reach out to all the different types of uh, cider lovers, people who like that uh, brewing model, for example, or the um, or the traditionalists. We, we hope to cover everything. And uh, and, and there is a real dichotomy. A lot of uh, traditional cider makers really poo-poo these guys that I call the uh, organ model, which is using um, apple juice more like uh, hops as opposed to uh, the, the different juices that you can get from apples themselves. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Reverend Nat uh, probably epitomizes that the most uh, with his hop ciders, which are just unbelievably great. And apricot ciders and all kinds of different things they make. And they're based out of where? Out, out of Oregon. Out of Oregon? Yeah. yeah, I mean, Oregon is uh, not only when it comes to craft beer and, of course, Pinot Noir, yeah. but uh, when it comes to... Uh, that beer model of, of cider making, uh, you've got to go to Oregon, and I highly suggest if you're true cider lovers, get out there. Yeah, the first cider that I had outside of here, uh, other than a couple in BC, was a trip to, to Portland, oh, and uh, I fell in love with one called Spire. Oh yeah, that was there, and it was uh, sort of oh, well, three, four years ago. Right, right. It's a great opportunity, and I could totally. I know I'm going out west next year. Uh, in June, so I think maybe I'll have to make sure I do the trip again across, well, across the Well, Washington State, I mean, I mean, even on Vancouver Island, there's some great satteries happening there. Yeah. Um, and of course, you've got to go to Marydale if you're on Vancouver Island. Yeah. You'll head through here and, uh, of course, our barns too. I mean, uh, uh, we really believe in our heritage. So, like, this barn was built in 1832. Okay. So... <laughs> So at this point of the tour, we moved out of the fields and into the tasting patio where they're setting up for their afternoon of music and drinks for about the 50 or so people that were around the house at that exact moment. You're listening to the Cider Crate's first podcast series where we head on out and talk to a handful of different cideries across the area. And we are in the middle and just about to sit down and chat with Grant and Jennifer about 
more of the material that they make in the county cider area. So we're joined by Jennifer as we sit on the table and have a drink and sample the latest from the summer of 2016. This cider is uh, in a 750 ml bottle, of course. Um, we made this uh, uh, in collaboration with uh, Light Hall Vineyards. And um, Glenn Simmons out at Light Hall is uh, one of the best winemakers uh, I've ever come across, other than Jen here. Um, and so uh, we provided the juice and we needed everything else. And uh, uh, what makes this really different is the way it was carbonated. It was naturally carbonated like a champagne. So um, it's got lots of uh, CO2 in it, and you'll notice the mousse. Like generally, uh, uh, cider does not have a mousse like that, or, or a foam, but that's because uh, generally uh, uh, ciders are carbonated at about uh, 15 pounds per square inch, and because of the way this was carbonated, it's at uh, roughly uh, 45 pounds per square inch. So you get a lovely mousse, just like in a fine champagne. And this is a very dry, very austere cider, primarily made with russet apples. It's not that dry. It's not dry? No? It's about three grams of sugar. So. And one thing, um, when, you're, when you're looking at cider and you hold it up, I mean, of course, smelling it's very important to get the aromas coming off, like, you know, there's apple peel coming off here and all this, but when you look at the color, if you get a really light colored, almost uh, white colored, you know it's made for culinary apples, right? And, these, uh, and there's nothing the matter with that, but these it just tells you that they're made with late season apples, um, and it's been fermented properly, and then given time in the barrel, and that sort of thing. So anyways, cheers guys. That's really good. Very smooth. Very refreshing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a, a fine champagne. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you can taste uh, not only the russets there, well, I can taste the russets, but those tannins are there from, um, you know, of course, the wasps like it too. Yeah. Um, but the tannins are there to provide that. Uh, cleansing of your mouth. And of course, all our ciders, like most ciders, uh, uh, people don't think of them as a companion to food, but we find uh, here especially, um, it goes great with simple foods like uh, Thai food, anything hot, curries, it's great. Well, you're doing, uh, you have someone doing the pairing, do you not, tomorrow at the festival? Do we have one? So, someone's, are you sponsoring a, a pairing, a food pairing session? Yeah, during the VIP event. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, there's somebody that's doing that. You're just sponsoring, I believe, yeah. <laughs> we'll be there. There's a chef around there. I was mentioning yes, to you about okay. a chef that's going to be there. So anyways, that's, uh, that's about it. Any other questions? I have a list of some basic ones. Sure. I don't know if I want to take we your need. time away from no, no. Well, it, and we, we could also we covered a lot of them. Well, we, no, no, go ahead. The other option too is maybe you'd like to provide some answers for it. That way, we have different voices. Oh, they're pretty easy. Uh, just by way of background, uh, Jen's my partner, and she's been uh, been here since 2002 now. 2000, 2016 years, and um, she was one of the uh, first graduates from the winemaking course uh, at Loyalist College. Oh, there we go. So when I started 
working here, I was actually the winemaker because Grant had planted grapevines in 1999 at the beginning of the whole wine industry here in the county. And we were doing cider and wine. And now we're just doing cider because we don't feel the need to compete with 40 other wineries in the county. So I ended up becoming the cider maker instead of a winemaker. Excellent. Grant had to teach me everything about cider making. Now, the whole process... Is the whole process process done on site, or you do so, well, bottling off site? Used, yeah, it used to be all done on site, um, but we ran out of space like, quite a number of years ago, and we were fortunate enough to find a building in town that had all the power and water that we needed. So we do all the harvesting and pressing here of our own apples and the fermenting, and then we move it to town as we need it, and that's where it gets filtered, blended, and then either bottled or kegged. Um, what are some of the challenges with uh, the actual making of the product and sales in your area here? I think the biggest challenge is probably consistency uh, because every year the apples are different. Um, it could be a dry year like this year, so we expect that we'll get a lot of sugar in the apples, but we won't get much yield from them. So that's going to be a challenge. And then trying to blend the different types of apples so that the taste is consistent from year to year is one of the biggest challenges that we have. Have you seen a change in the sales and the ability to make sales through the way the system has worked of late? Um, well, it's really nice that we're now uh, allowed to sell through the grocery store channel, which has uh, been good for us. It hasn't been huge, but... The, I understand the government's going to be selling off another 150 licenses by the end of this year, so we expect that uh, that's going to increase as more licenses become available. Uh, Loblaws has been a big supporter of ours, and we're getting repeat orders from them on a daily basis. So that's been good. Uh, the farmer's market uh, opportunity is certainly there for us, but we simply don't have the manpower to do farmer's markets. Um, and to be honest, we sell out of everything that we make every year, so that's that's become a challenge as well, is keeping up with uh, demand. Now, how many different uh, varieties do you currently have? Of cider? Yeah. Um, so we have six different, seven, let's see, we have County and Wapoose, Peach, Pear, Feral, Blood Orange, Root Beer, and Tortured Path. So that's eight, and then we do our ice cider. So right now we have what's our barrel-aged ice cider, so that's a special one that we did in uh, barrels made by a local cooper who made them out of cherry, hickory, oak, and ash. So each barrel has four different types of wood, so it's a very special ice cider. We're currently out of our regular ice cider. So we'll have to we also more. do, um, it's funny because when you talk about uh, what varieties you make, you talk about the ciders we make, I think of apples, right? Yes. So that's just the background. That's why I was but asking. The, the one market where we, um, in our keg market, because uh, one-offs and uh, bars want, you know, new products every month kind of thing. So we do a lot of uh, derivative products, like we'll have peach and we'll have blackberry juice one month or... Or we'll add uh, ginger, which is yeah, a great... Yeah, we did uh, peach ginger. We've done blackberry peach, which has been really popular. We've done a citrus cider, which is grapefruit and uh, blood orange. Um, we've done hop ciders. Uh, we did blackberry sage, which was really unusual. And 
incredibly popular as well. So, yeah. And that helps you plan for if you decide you want to put out a, a, a larger uh, yes. line of it for maybe the next season. Or yes, so. yeah. It's kind of like you're doing a beta test test market. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's where the root beer came from. And, uh, I, th- I think root beer is going to be uh, the surprise hit of uh, 2017. We'll see, though. So, wh- where do you get the ideas for it? Like, is root beer just because you like root beer, or just traveling? We were, yeah, we were at Cider Days down in Massachusetts last November, so almost a year ago. And we always go and check out what's new in the liquor stores down there. And root beer beers were starting to make their appearance back then. And we thought, oh, root beer, we could we could do a root beer flavored cider. <laughs> so it took us eight months uh, working on the flavor to get it just the way we wanted it. And unfortunately, Mill Street beat us to the punch with their root beer beer. It came out a couple of weeks before our root beer cider. But it's like four or five of them now yeah. that you can get. And that's been exactly. the big thing this year, which is really neat to see the, the cider angle for it, too. Right? And just for the record, we made our application to the liquor board before any of these beer companies did, but uh, we were turned down. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we're so far ahead all the time. They turned down our blood orange last year when we put it in. And uh, Now blood orange is a huge flavor in uh, uh, Europe. Uh, and I guess my last question then would be, uh, we're sampling something you're working on here. Do you have something planned for next year as a, a big release outside of, say, the first little bits of the root beer you just talked about? Probably some more of this. Um, we only did about 80 cases of this, and so we were really pleased with the results. So I think we're going to do another collaboration with Glenn at Lighthall and make some more of this Charmat cider. Cause yeah. And now so that, that our apples, uh, our traditional cider apples are coming on, uh, we're going to have more of these to work with uh, um, more colors to the palate, so to speak. So, yeah, and certainly more tortured path cider is yeah. in the coming for next year. And who knows, we might try a single varietal. Because um, now we've got so many cider apples growing, we could do a single varietal Dabinet or Kingston Black, possibly, something like that. Oh, that's very neat. Yeah. Uh, so just really quickly then, um, I'm assuming that means that the majority of your time creating the product other than the growing season is like late August till November, December, then you do bottling, fermenting, all that rest yeah. of that stuff, and then it starts to launch in the, in the spring. In the spring. In the summer. So are you, other than, say, the support staff here that's doing uh, the food and the, the tasting and so on, do you still have as many staff on board as you're going through that process, or is it a little, little quieter and it's more the two of you and a couple core members? Yeah, during the winter it's just a few core members in production. There's about eight of us full-time that do a lot of work in the winter, um, catching up on things and trying to bring up new ideas for the following year. And we're really big. Um, most most of our staff that, that works full-time have done all kinds of cider courses in the States or like us in England. Yeah. So we probably have more years of cider. Six, six of our staff have done the Peter Mitchell cider course over Which the years. Which is really important. And if you're really into cider, I suggest you take that course. So is that online or is that well, the you person? Go to you got to Cornell. You go to Cornell okay. or to Washington State. Okay. He does it there. Highly worth it. Yeah. It's very uh, hard to get into his classes now because there's so much demand because they only do 24 people at a time. Right. 
Do they have uh, coursework available that they've given you? Maybe some stuff we can yeah. borrow and read? Really young. I do have a link. So Danielle, my production manager, and I went uh, to learn how to be cider judges at the Great Lakes International Cider and Perry Competition. So you go on the Friday and you sit with all of these other uh, BJCP run. Uh, people you, and you learn you. you learn how to be a cider judge. You should definitely sign up for it as a, like a volunteer. You learn, and then they put you with other judges, uh, more seasoned judges, and they'll put you in categories, and you get to judge ciders all weekend. And it's a lot of fun, and it's very, very interesting and informative. Um, so you should definitely do something like that. But I remember one of the guys gave me a link to a course that you can do online. It's some sort of let's see if I can find it cider exam. Yeah, so it's the the beer judging people, the BJCP organization. They do a cider exam now. Okay. And so I got the link right here, and you can. Do you want to take a photo of that? Yeah, sure. So it's just. Yeah, I've only had a cursory glance at it. So. Just had an idea. We went looking for a cider website about reviews, and we couldn't find anything for Ontario. So we're like, we should just create it ourselves, right? We've got. Let's see. About a hundred of them at home. I'll sit in boxes, different types. Every time we come across something, we grab it. And then we've sampled maybe another 50, 60 in locations. But almost all primarily here. We've had a little foray over into Quebec, but yeah. almost everything has been so whatever's here. So the ones you currently have at home, say this other hundred, they're unopened? Yes. How long have you had them? Some are like six months. Yeah, drink them. I found that too. Some I would pick up uh, bottles in the states when I found them in cider days, like in November, and then you go to drink them in the spring. And they're they're horrible. They're not still not quite. You know, you got to drink cider when it's fresh. Really, people always ask us how long will this last, and I tell them well, until it's gone. Because we don't really want you to save it. We want you to drink it and come back for more. But cider is best drunk fresh. Like within three months of bottling. Well, we've got some work to do. So much for Well, at this point of the interview, the band started to play in the background and our recording kind of got drowned out, unfortunately. But we just chatted a little bit more about some of the things you were hearing in the last 10 minutes or so and more about cider in general before Grant took off and we set up to head out to our next stop on the cider tour that we're doing. We were actually on our way down from Ottawa, which is the hometown and base of where the Cider Crate is located out of to the Toronto Cider Festival, a uh, afternoon and evening in downtown Toronto, which was absolutely fantastic and happy to say we'll be back there again this year for 2017 to cover. Once again, I want to thank you for checking out and listening to this first podcast series. There are more going to be made available if they're not already up at the website, which is thecidercrate.com, and you can just browse on the top link to see what we have there. Of course, there are hundreds of reviews up there as well, including bar reviews of ciders and right from the bottle as well, including a handful from County. So if you want to take a look and read what some of the things we've sampled from the cidery, you can do so at the website, thecidercrate.com. We're very happy to take feedback as well. And of course, there is our social media pages on Twitter and Facebook. So we highly encourage you to connect with us there 
there and follow us along with the travels. Once again, thanks to County Cider for the opportunity to come by. We wish you all the best going forward with the changes and challenges that you'll have for the 2017 season, missing such an amazing and individual in Grant with his passing. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again. My name's Barry, and have a good one.